welcome to the 30th of November um, edition of Talking Newspaper. I'm Charlotte Wanless and our readers today are um, Evelyn Brock, Philip Lee and Catherine Neal. So let's start as usual. The team are sitting around a central table in the recording studio and we will be reading clockwise. For our new listeners, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves so you can work out where they are sitting and how they sound. So hello from me, Charlotte. And hello from me, Catherine. And hello from me, Philip. And hello from me, Evelyn. Please keep sending us your feedback by whatever means, as the team here want to make the recording as pleasurable as possible for you and ourselves. Um, just before we start, I've just got some um, some little notices. Um, apologies for last week, as... Um, a post bag wasn't collected until today, so two wallets should be received in the next few days. Um, and this was last week's and this week, so a real big apologies. Um, also, uh, thank you for the donations from Mr. and Mrs. Robert Bell in memory of Marilyn Kendall. And something else to look out for is um, we will be sending Christmas cards in plastic wallets in your wallet. So just have a have a um, feel around for that Christmas card from us. Wishing you a Merry Christmas. Um, as usual, we will have headlines, local stories, local sport, selected radio programmes, um, sunrise and sunset. Um, the items follow on and you can stop and start using the big buttons on your players. You can also hear it on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk, um, which has the magazine and past recordings. Um, and thank you for everyone who uploads everything to the website. If you have any trouble or comments, please contact us by whatever means is convenient. Our phone number is 019 Please be prepared for an answering machine to take your call. A quick reminder about our talking library, which is free. It's being constantly updated. Um, and so please let us know if there's anything you particularly would like. I know I like listening to Harry Potter on my way to work. Um, so let's start, so that's enough of me, with the main headline stories. Um, I've got Friday the 24th of November, um, and that was uh, Black Friday, um, and there was a picture on the front of um, shoppers um, slowly going in um, into town, and it says Black Friday has seen no frenzied fights over bargains in Worcester so far. Although many shops around the high street, the Shambles and Crown Gate were displaying advertising banners proclaiming the day's bargains, shoppers themselves seem not to be moved by the excitement that the day, introduced from the USA, generated a few years ago. One shopper, laden with bags outside Argos of the Shambles, said that she had been buying items for a house move, but although she was pleased that Black Friday bargains were available, she would have to make the purchases anyway. Nationally, the data suggests that more people are doing their shopping online. Big companies such as Argos, Waterstones and Dixon Carphone said that Black Friday is good news for shoppers and retailers alike. The... Moving on to Saturday, November the 25th, the headline on the front of the newspaper here is Someone Will Die Here, 
and the whole of the page is a photograph of the head teacher and the deputy head teacher of Barnabas Primary School standing with um, a group of pupils uh, and the, the, the article is about the anxiety about the traffic. A head teacher has called for urgent action after a two-year-old girl was hit by a car outside a school. Sarah Hansen, head of St Barnabas Church of England Primary School, is now demanding a permanent crossing and a lollipop lady in Green Lane, Worcester. She said the girl was hit in the street at about 3.10pm on Thursday and was fortunate to only suffer a broken ankle in an accident which could have killed her. Ms Hansen said, My concern is that someone is going to be killed. It's absolutely crazy. At home time, one of our mums was crossing the road with her four-year-old boy and her little girl. The little girl was hit by the side of a car. She's got a broken ankle. She was upset and shocked. We feel so sad for the little girl. There was a backup of cars up the road. She crossed halfway. The car didn't see her. It's a moving car and they collided. The driver wasn't speeding. The little girl ran into the car. Ms Hansen said CCTV footage of the incident appeared to show the car travelling at around 25 miles an hour. She said, what's happened is we have no crossing control. I'm trying to get a permanent crossing here. I've been in touch with our councillors. I've written to our MP. It's so dangerous. We lost our lollipop lady in December 2016. No one has applied for the job. The job could be seen as inconvenient hours, but we need a lollipop lady and a permanent crossing. Twice a day, almost a thousand students cross here. She said that at least half of her 420 pupils cross the road to get to school, in addition to children from Green Lane Preschool and Bishop Perone College. And she added that she had reached breaking point with the situation following another crash in the road on Monday, September the 18th. Miss Hansen said a car drove into a parked car, which was one of our parents. The children had got out of the car. That was in the morning. If the children had been in it, that would have been very serious. The car was a write-off. Following the collision on Thursday, West Mercia police said the driver left the scene in his black Seat Leon and that the little girl was taken to hospital by her family members. Officers conducted a voluntary interview with a man in his 20s from Worcester as part of ongoing investigations. A school petition calling for a permanent crossing in the road has received over 400 signatures. Anyone with information about the incident can ring police on 101, quoting 465s of Thursday, November the 23rd. Worcester County Council was approached for a statement by the Worcester News, but declined to comment. Now we move to Monday the 27th of November, and the headline is More Motorway Misery. Now the M5 roadworks move to Six Ways Island. And that's on top of a, uh, a photograph of a rather busy Six Ways Island. Motorists are facing more misery in the new year as the M5 roadworks move to Junction 6 and the Six Ways roundabout. The work is expected to start on the site in January, with Highways England saying it will be completed by the end of 2018. Details of the impact, including the inevitable lane closures, is yet to be finalised, but Highways England promises to keep disruption to a minimum. This project is the next phase of improvements to the county's section of the M5, which has already seen roadworks at junctions 5, 7, 1 and 2. 
A Highways England spokesman said the authority appreciates that there has already been a significant amount of road work in the region in recent years, but stressed that the latest project is part of an important period of upgrades that will benefit commuters in the long term with improved journey times and reduced uh, congestion sorry, at Junction 6 and on roads locally. Highways England Senior Project Manager Jessica Kenny said work at Junction 6 is due to get underway in the new year and will improve journeys for thousands of motorists as well as improving safety and supporting local and wider economic growth. As part of the scheme will increase capacity by widening the roundabout, the slip roads and all the approaches. We'll also add an extra lane to the roundabout and put traffic signals on the A449 approach. Worcester MP Robin Walker has previously raised concerns with Highways England on the M5 roadworks, particularly the length of time it takes to complete each project. Mr Walker said, It is good news in the sense that I can't fault them for wanting to upgrade the junction and roundabout, but what we need to make sure of is that the work is done as quickly as possible and with the minimum amount of disruption. At some point, presumably, the junction will need to close. They need to make the work a priority. Councillor Alan Amos, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member with responsibility for highways, said, we need, the, we need the improvements to the junction and roundabout. It is important for investment locally. But I want a finish date well before next Christmas. I have asked our offices to go to Highways England to, ex- to stress this. City Councillor Alan Feeney said, Traffic in my council ward and on the queues to this junction are frequently horrendous, as I know from sitting in them. Yes, there will be disruption while the works go on, but the long-term benefits will be far better than we have now. Worcester news readers, however, were angered by news of the works at Junction 6 and the Six Ways Roundabout next year, saying the disruption would cause even worse congestion in the area. One reader wrote on the Worcester News website, Smart motorway? This will be the third disruption in as many years. Is there any planning in Worcestershire? (laughs) Now the main article from Tuesday, November the 28th, headlined, Violence erupts at Traveller's site. Police helicopter targeted, officer punched, bricks thrown. And there's an accompanying set of pictures of three of those found guilty in the relevant court case. A youth tried to bring down a police helicopter with a laser as trouble erupted at a traveller site. A police officer was punched and others pelted with bricks and stones as tensions escalated between police and the Johnson family at Cleve Prior Caravan site near Evesham. Ricky Johnson, aged 64, Julie Lamb, aged 40, Chance Gill, also known as Chance Johnson, 18, and a youth who cannot be named, appeared at Worcester Crown Court to be sentenced for a fray. None of the four defendants shone the laser at the pilot, but were involved in disorder which broke out after midnight on February the 18th last year. A charge of endangering an aircraft has since been quashed. Sergeant Nick Doyle was waiting near the caravan site to intercept a stolen car when a silver Astra, not the stolen car, passed him at excessive speed over 80 miles per hour before the driver turned off the lights and entered the site. 
Daniel White, prosecuting, said Sergeant Doyle followed the car inside and Gill was seen entering a caravan and climbing out through a back window. Gill shouted that the police had arrived, but there was only one of them and threatened to brick the officer. A car approached with its headlights on, sounding the horn in long blasts, and a crowd gathered. Sergeant Doyle withdrew, but could see Gill throwing stones. Eleven officers, including firearms officers and a police helicopter, arrived. A youth shone a green laser at the helicopter, forcing the pilot to turn away and switch to thermal cameras, while the youth threatened to headbutt officers. Lamb, whose son had been put in the cage of a police van, punched one of the officers to the right-hand side of his head and also left a scratch on the left-hand side of his head. She was stamping with her feet and trying to knee officers as they restrained her, said Mr White. Ricky Johnson was heard to say, I've had enough, I'm going to sort this. He returned in a Ford Ranger pickup truck, driving at speed towards officers. A firearms officer was so concerned he took out his firearm and released the safety catch, Mr White told the court. After Johnson and Lamb were arrested, someone could be heard shouting bricks and some landed near an officer. David Maunder for Gill said his client had matured significantly and had not been in trouble since his father was released from custody following a significant sentence. His father does not want him going down the same path as he did, said Mr Maunder. Richard Hull, for Lamb, said she had been concerned for her son's welfare during the incident, but she accepts her ac actions on the night were regrettable. Harpreet Sandhu, for Ricky Johnson, described the incident as an aberration, referring to him as an elder statesman and peacemaker, who had worked harmoniously and productively with the probation service and police on other occasions. Mr Sandhu said Johnson had been dealing with one of the greatest tragedies of his life, the death of his son in a car crash on October the 6th. Sarah Jenkins for the youth said her client had shown discipline in a fledgling boxing career and had matured since the incident. Judge Nicholas Cartwright QC said Gill started the incident and then watched from a distance while an attempt was made to bring down a police helicopter. He added, the whole thing having escalated out of control, a person within the group, none of you I accept, was shining a light at a helicopter pilot. The only possible reason for that would be to blind the pilot temporarily at least. Given this was a residential area, the risks are all too obvious. The response of the four of you and others on the site was quite appalling, as I'm sure anyone who applies their mind to it would recognise. Johnson received a 15-month prison sentence, suspended for two years, and was told to complete 150 hours of unpaid work and 20 rehabilitation activity days. Lamb received a 17-month prison sentence, suspended for two years, and must complete 170 hours of unpaid work and a 20 rehabilitation activity days. Gill received a 20-month prison sentence suspended for two years and must complete 200 hours of unpaid work and 15 rehabilitation activity days. The youth must complete a youth rehabilitation activity requirement for 12 months 
and will be subject to supervision. No criminal behaviour orders which had been applied for were issued in relation to any of the defendants. The judge said they were not appropriate. They must each pay costs of £500 and a victim surcharge. And the headline for um, Wednesday, November the 29th, Ready for Winter Crisis, Hospital Trolley Treatment, a Last Resort. Emergency patients will no longer be cared for routinely on corridor trolleys as staff brace themselves for their busiest ever winter. NHS bosses are expecting another challenging winter at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester as they open extra beds to cope with the crisis. Despite the extra pressure at the front door, by Friday, caring for A&E patients on trolleys at Worcester will become the exception, even at busy times NHS le- leaders have pledged. No longer will the use of corridors for A&E patients be routine, said Mary Gray, Get Mary Gay, Chief Operating Officer for the Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Groups. But staff will care for A&E patients on trolleys if 10 or more ambulance arrive within an hour. A single winter plan was agreed in July and live data is shared providing an up-to-the-minute picture of what is happening across the whole healthcare system, allowing staff to respond and adapt. Bosses say frontline staff, the social care sector and patients themselves play a role in reducing the bottleneck in A&E and unblocking beds. An ambulatory emergency care centre next to A&E at Worcester opened on Monday, November the 20th. In the seven days since it opened, the centre cared for 128 patients who would otherwise have been adding to pressures on A&E, including filling trolleys on corridors and blocking beds. The aim is to get patients home the same day they arrive. The light and spacious spacious ambulatory centre has six trolleys in bays and 10 to 15 chairs, curtains given patients' privacy. Other measures to manage Demand include a frailty assessment unit at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, which provides a countrywide service. The unit aims to relieve pressure on A&E, allowing patients to be discharged home if well enough. 30 beds and a single care home in Worcester will be used to ease pressure on hospital beds. Six more beds in another care home will be used for dementia patients with highly complex needs. Phil Shakespeare. Phil Shakeshaft, matron and lead nurse at the Princess of Wales Community Hospital at Bromsgrove, urged patients to make better use of underutilised minor injuries units at Kidderminster, Tembury, Evesham, Malvern and Bromsgrove, especially for injuries like breaks, sprains, cuts and bruises. Patients can be seen within two hours, quicker than in A&E. There are 72 beds at the Princess of Wales Community Hospital, 26 at Pershaw, 54 at Evesham, 24 at Malvern and 48 at Worcestershire inpatient unit. Staff are trained to deal with sub-acute care and play a role in reducing emissions to A&E by providing preventative care. They also provide overflow beds when acute hospitals become overwhelmed. The headline for Thursday, the November the 30th, is County Cricket Scandal. Worcestershire all-rounder Alex Hepburn charged with rape. The club's director of cricket, Steve Rhodes, accused of cover-up. And the photograph shows the two men uh, at some earlier period, smiling at the camera together. A county cricketer has been charged with rape. Alex Hepburn, aged 21 
of Diglis, Worcester, was charged with two counts of rape of a woman aged 16 or older. The charges in connection with an alleged rape which took place on Saturday, April the 1st, Hepburn, an all-rounder for Worcestershire County Cricket Club, will appear at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, December the 7th. He has been suspended pending further investigation. The club also confirmed it is dealing with a disciplinary matter involving its director of cricket, Steve Rhodes. It is alleged that Rhodes was involved in a cover-up after Hepburn asked him for help following his arrest. A spokesman for the cricket club said, Worcestershire CCC can confirm that Alex Hepburn was charged on the 9th of November with two counts of rape following an investigation by West Mercia Police into an incident which occurred on Saturday the 1st of April 2017. As the matter is now subject to criminal proceedings, the club is unable to provide any further comment at this stage. Hepburn moved to England from Australia in 2013. Having played for Western Australia under-17s, he represented Worcestershire twice in List A cricket in 2015 and made it into their T20 side in 2017. Mr Rhodes declined to comment. I have an archaeology story from today's newspaper, Thursday, November 30th, the headline being Roman Past Revealed, and there's a wonderful photograph of someone, trowel in hand, warmly wrapped up, filling a fine tray with what looks to me like Roman pottery. Archaeologists have unearthed a 2,000-year-old Roman farmstead in Worcester. Worcester City Council's archaeology team, alongside more than 30 volunteers, are carrying out a two-week excavation at Mab's Orchard in Trots Hill in Warnden Villages. They have revealed that the site was a busy farmstead dating back at least 1,800 years. Roman pottery finds include mixing bowls and tankards, as well as fine tableware. Initial signs of the Roman farmstead were discovered in 2006, when archaeologists carried out a test dig and found ditches containing Roman pottery. The land is being excavated now because the neighbouring Warnden Village's allotments are set to be expanded. As a result of the fortnight-long dig, many pieces of Roman pottery have been found, and now the public is being given the chance to see the dig for themselves on its final day this Saturday, as the site opens for visitors from 10am to 3pm. James Din, the council's archaeology officer, said, The open day on Saturday will be an opportunity to come along and see the archaeologists at work on their final day of excavation, and find out what we've discovered over two weeks. There will be activities for all and a chance to handle the finds that are coming out of the ground. During the dig, archaeologists from Rubicon Heritage have been on site to give training and guidance. Archaeology and geology students from Worcester Sixth Form College and pupils from Hollymount and St Joseph's Primary Schools have also joined in. I have an article from Saturday, November the 25th, and the headline is Third Drugs Raid in Ten Days for Police. And the accompanying pictures show police ramming a door open during a raid and also Sergeant Sarah Kent, a police officer involved in this situation. Police smashed down the door of a house in Droitwich in the third drugs raid in the town in 10 days. Officers from the Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood team, assisted by the force, tasking team and a drugs dog, raided the house in Woodman's Way at 7.30am yesterday. 
During the search, a small quantity of cannabis was found in the house. A 34-year-old woman and a man aged 32, as well as two children, were present inside at the address. No arrests have been made yet, police said. Sergeant Sarah Kent told the Worcester News, electronic devices have been seized from the address and will be examined for evidence of drug dealing. This investigation is still ongoing. She added, we have a small but very motivated team here at Droitwich. This is the third drugs warrant we have carried out in 10 days. I think this demonstrates our commitment to tackling this type of crime. We are finding that targeting drugs is also reducing demand in other areas of business, such as antisocial behaviour, violent crime and thefts. Therefore, it is beneficial to both the police and the community. On Wednesday this week, officers raided a house at Farrier's Corner on the Westlands estate and found a quantity of what is thought to be crack cocaine. A 44-year-old woman and two men aged 23 and 17 were arrested on suspicion of possession with intent to supply. Officers also swooped on a house in Shepherd's Place on Tuesday, November the 14th and secured a closure order so that the tenants were evicted and the property was boarded up. A man aged 27 and a 24-year-old woman were arrested at the house after a quantity of cannabis was found. They were both released the following day under police investigation as officers continue their inquiries. Birthday bash for Tess on her 101st uh, birthday. Celebrations were in full swing at Latimer Court, Care Home, Worcester, as Tess Atkins reached her 101st birthday in style. An afternoon cream tea with champagne was held at the home for Tess, who was joined by family and residents to celebrate. Mrs Atkins, who has three children, seven grandchildren and eight grand, great-grandchildren, turned 101 on Wednesday, November the 15th. She has led a busy life working for Save the Children in Cheltenham for 25 years and spending time travelling in her later years. She has remained very active and independent, only moving to Latimer Court in 2015. Lisa Bradley, General Manager of Latimer Court, added, We're delighted to be celebrating a truly remarkable woman as she reaches this amazing milestone. Tess is such a popular resident who always has an interesting t tale to tell and we look forward to hearing many more. Um, and another very happy story um, from November the 27th, that's Monday, which tells us that Mags has secured some lottery money. A Worcester homeless centre has secured new lottery money that will help them set up a new project. Mag's Day Centre, the charity based in Deansway that specialises in the first steps of helping people get off the streets for good, supplying food and shelter, health checkups, life skills and mentoring, is to receive a three-year grant of £280,000 from the Big Lottery Fund. Mag's is a big success story in Worcester, having been supporting homeless and vulnerable people since opening in 1985. The Big Lottery Fund is responsible for giving out 40% of the money raised by national lottery players for good causes. The new funding is to be used to set up a new project 
the MAGS Outreach and Transitional Service, which will provide three full-time outreach workers that will engage with rough sleepers across the, the county, connecting them with the relevant local organisations. The Chief Executive, Mel Kirk, said, We're ecstatic that we've been successful in gaining this grant from the Big Lottery Fund. It will enable us to work with some of the hardest to reach across Worcestershire while building partnerships with local agencies to gain the best outcomes possible for this challenging service user group. Um, the director of the big, uh, the grant making director at the Big Lottery Fund, James Harcourt, said we're delighted to be supporting this project to help homeless and vulnerable people. It's great to see national lottery funding improving the lives and well-being of people in Worcestershire. I've got a story on the opening of a Muslim centre in Worcester. The headline is a grand opening for Muslim centre. We've got two photographs, one of which shows Councillor Aladitta on an earth-moving machine helping to uh, prepare the site. A Muslim association has launched a new youth hub and community centre in the city. About 100 people attended the pre-opening of Unity House Youth and Community Hub, Stanley Road, Worcester. The refurbished site features a games room, garden, art and craft area and a social space for the over 50s. The Worcester Muslim Welfare Association hopes that the centre will help to curb antisocial behaviour, drug issues and other problems. The group's Mohammed Iqbal said, In this day and age when youth services are being cut back or do not exist, we feel that the youth are being let down by a lack of services, information, opportunities and activities. Our mission is to help create a platform of opportunities by bringing agencies and partners to deliver key workshops in a different fund-based environment. Our success will come from the users, the community, the local government and the wider organisations for ongoing support. Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, joined City and County Councillors at the opening. He said, I would like to extend my thanks to the Worcester Muslim Welfare Association for both their hospitality and the extensive fundraising that they have undertaken to fund the upgrades at Unity House. It was a great example of Worcester's diverse communities coming together in celebration of our shared values. I have always believed that part of what makes our sense of community in the faithful city so strong is the way in which those of many faiths and none regularly join in a shared appreciation of what we all have in common. And on occasions like this, I'm always reminded of those bonds. It is hugely to the benefit of our city that facilities such as Unity House continue to thrive and grow. And I look forward to seeing many more of the centre and many projects taking place there. The association launched the project in April and the centre opens officially in the new year. The group is also planning to set up a Worcester Muslim Partnership, a sports academy and a Pakistan Cultural and Islamic Heritage Department. Now an article from today's newspaper, Thursday, November the 30th, particularly relevant in view of the freezing cold as I walk to the centre tonight. <laughs> and the headline is, Warning as Cold Snap Brings Ice. A weather warning has been issued as temperatures continue to plummet. The Met Office predicts that temperatures could fall to as low as minus 6C in Worcestershire this week and has issued a yellow weather warning saying ice is expected to form on untreated roads, pavements and cycle paths. Gritters have been out. 
Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said yesterday, temperatures will be at their lowest for some time and it's set to be the coldest night of the gritting season so far. Our gritting teams will be out making the county's highways network safe, but we encourage drivers to take extra care on the roads even when they have been treated. Public Health England has also issued a warning. Dr Thomas Waite said, We know that every winter thousands of people fall ill and many die because of exposure to cold both in the home and while outdoors. Those most at risk include older people, very young children and those with conditions like heart disease. So we all need to really wrap up well. Um, festive treat for Josh. A former patient of Acorns Children's Hospice has been selected to ride in Father Christmas's sleigh during his big arrival in Worcester. Josh Loder, 18 from Powick, who suffers from Dravet's syndrome, a severe form of epilepsy, has been supported until recently by the Bath Road Hospice, which provides support to life-limited children since it opened 12 years ago. Prior to the event, Josh was also invited to Debenhams in Crowngate um, to select a new festive outfit. The shopping centre, which hosts Santa's Grotto every Christmas, has come together with Worcester Bid to give one Acorns patient the chance to ride with Santa down the high street. Josh's younger brother, Logan, nine, who will also be riding in Santa's sleigh, was given a free outfit too, while Mum, Bev and Nan Joan both received makeovers at the department store. It was a, such a surprise. Uh, it was a big surprise, said Bev after her makeover. I got the message on Tuesday, but the boys didn't know until they came home from school last night. Logan was just so excited. Bev said Josh was one of the first children through the door at the city's Acorns Hospice after it opened in 2005, having been diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of one. Every six weeks, Josh would go to Acorns for two or three nights as a form of respite, said Bev. Alicia Griparis, Debenham's store manager, said, We like to ha help out with festive activities. It's about unexpected treats and having a great experience. And another news item from today um, highlights the Victorian Fair, which begins has begun today. Uh, get ready for four days of fair fun, the headline says. Thousands of visitors are expected to, to descend on Worcester for the annual Victorian Christmas Fair, which gets underway today. The four-day extravaganza opens at midday, while the official opening is being held from 4.30pm with a community carol service taking place at Worcester Cathedral, followed by the official opening in the Corn Market at 5.30. That's all will have happened now by t today. The event, which this year celebrates its 25th anniversary, is one of the most successful street fairs of its kind in the Midlands, contributing an estimated £7 million to the local economy annually. In previous years, more than 100,000 visitors have attended, with Friday and Saturday usually the busiest days. Nearly 200 stalls will fill the streets of Worcester, offering everything from sparkling jewellery to festive home decorations, as well as tasty treats including mulled wine and roasted chestnuts. Stall owners will be dressed up, with Victorian characters wandering the streets. There will be the chance to experience a Victorian slum, as the Click Click Collective will be producing Gin Lane. 
Head between New Street and the Shambles between 5pm and 9pm tomorrow and 4pm and 8pm on Saturday where you'll find urchins, drinking, hawkers and magic bringing Victorian Worcester alive. The traditional Victorian carousel will be spinning in the corn market with lots of rides available on the fun fair in the car park. Choir performances and dance displays from pupils of various schools will be performing for the crowds. Entertainment stages will be located in Cathedral Square, Bell Square and at the Cardinal's Hat, with additional performances taking place on New Street, the Shambles and around the city centre. Victorian Fair visitors will also see extra security measures this year with large concrete blocks placed in Worcester City Centre. The blocks have been independently tested to ensure they can withstand a vehicle being driven into them at speed. Concrete blocks have been placed at Copenhagen Street, just before the entry to the Guildhall, Broad Street by the Shambles, Friar Street and the Cross, where it meets the High Street. Pedestrian barriers have also been installed around the roadside perimeter of Cathedral Square. David Blake, the Worcester City Council's Managing Director, said, Our top priority is to ensure that visitors are safe as they enjoy everything which our traditional Victorian fair has to offer. I've got a picture of Santa Claus here and the headline says, It's time to listen out for Santa's sleigh again. Father Christmas will be visiting Worcester on his sleigh again this year with the help of Worcester Lions. And you'll be relieved to hear, no doubt, that's Lions with a capital L, not a small one. The sleigh will be touring the city streets throughout December, usually starting at about 6pm on weekdays and 5pm at weekends. Santa Claus will be accompanied on his rounds by Worcester Lions members, friends, guide and scout groups from across the city. Funds raised will be given to numerous good causes, including the Community Grants Scheme. A spokesman for the Lions said, As ever, we are unable to cover everywhere we would like to. We hope those areas where we are having to disappoint this year will understand. More details on Santa's routes can be found at Worcester Lions Club website and Facebook page. Worcester Lions Club, they say, are always in need of new members to enable them to carry on organising events such as this and also providing direct support to individuals, groups and good causes in our community. Where there's a need, there's a lion. To find out more about Worcester Lions Club, either find us on Facebook or email worcester at lions105m.org.uk or call 0845-833-5926. Lions care about every penny that they collect and ensure that every penny counts. Every penny collected goes to good causes and not one penny is spent on administration. Now an article from Monday, November the 27th. Planning approval for floating house. An unloved, scruffy part of Worcester's riverside could soon be improved by the construction of the city's first floating house. Sue Braithwaite and her husband Oliver Carpenter were delighted to receive planning permission this week for their idea to build a single-storey house that will actually float on the surface of an inlet off the Severn at Northwick Marina. The single-storey three-bedroom eco-structure will have no solid foundations on the ground but will be attached to piles in the bank but it will float properly, sliding up and down the piles as the water rises and falls. 
Mr Carpenter, who runs Jigsaw Marketing in the city, and Ms Braithwaite, who runs her own coaching business, both said this was not a grand designs type endeavour. Sue said, we have previously built an eco house in Martley, which won Eco House of the Year in 2007. This building will sit on the river and go up and down as the water rises and falls, but it will generally sit very low in the environment and is designed to be unobtrusive. We want to push the technology a bit. It will be an eco-house, but we're not just thinking about things like solar panels and heat pumps, but also about sourcing local materials and the embedded energy in the building. We want to show that you don't have to be millionaires to do this sort of thing. It's very exciting. A number of nearby residents had written to Worcester City Council's planning department in support of the couple's plans because they felt it would be an improvement. Oliver, who will manage the project, said, It's the first part of Worcester you come across when you walk along the river from the north, and it's a bit ropey. It was dug out about 60 years ago, and it was tried as a marina, but it never quite worked. And it's been used to store cars and things like that. So this should make it much more beautiful. He added, There are plenty of floating houses elsewhere in the country, particularly on the Thames and in other countries, but there isn't one in Worcestershire. The technology is not particularly unusual, but I think it's part of a conversation to be had about building on floodplains. We're not saying there should be houses all along the river, but it's an option. Um, mascots raise cash. Marvin Shark, the mascot of the Marvin Active Fitness Centre, has raised more than 1,000 for children in need. Marvin was joined on the costume hike by Father Christmas, a mascot's Twinkle Star from All Stars Cricket, now the Crocodile from Cross, uh, Worcestershire County Crit Cricket Club, and West Bromwich Albion's Baggy Bird. Ben Avery, duty manager at the sports complex, said, We wanted to do something different this year. The sight of a giant fluffy blue shark accompanied by a large star, a throstle bird and a father Christmas, all walking up the Worcestershire beacon together most definitely was. This article uh, has a headline of the square revamp to finally finish. Uh, the County Council has promised work on the prestigious new Cathedral Square development, still continuing four months after it opened, will finish by tomorrow. That is today, Thursday, the November the 30th. The authorities said the development would be finished in time for the city's Victorian Fair. It was responding to criticism that workmen are still at the site. Mr Blake, Worcester City Council's Managing Director, tweeted, This looks great, but when are you going to finish Cathedral Square? The timescale is both frustrating and embarrassing. In early October, the Worcester News reported that substantial work was going on at the site of the £20 million development months after it officially opened on July the 29th. At that point, Councillor Ken Pollock, Worcestershire County Council Cabinet Member responsible for economy and infrastructure, said it was just finishing touches and workers were on schedule to finish around the end of October. But this week, workmen have been at the site finishing off pavement work. 
Worcester City Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, said it was ridiculous work was still going on. It's disappointing, she said. The County Council and Highways should have given the Cathedral site priority. Work was meant to have been complete, completely finished before July's Three Choirs Festival. We need the city and this site looking its best for visitors. Councillor Pollock said Cathedral Square was opened in time for the shopping and dining launch event on July the 29th and it has been open ever since. It was understood by our partners, Salmon Harvester and Worcester City, who we meet with on a regular basis, that finishing touches would continue to be made over the autumn. We expect the minor outstanding work to be completed in time for the Victorian Fair. The project has been a great success and has completely transformed that end of the city. Cathedral Square has brought big names such as All Bar One, Cozy Club, Miller and Carter, Ask Italian, Pizza Express and Yo Sushi to the city. And now a story from Tuesday's newspaper. It's one of Worcester News' series profiling people who make our city such a great place to live due to their passion, dedication and kindness. And the subject of this particular profile is Margaret Johnson. And there's a rather resplendent picture of Margaret at her previous birthday when she was 90 and a rather impressive birthday cake. 91-year-old Margaret Johnson has spent the last 40 years helping to run the Nora Parsons Centre in Witchinford, a meeting place for the elderly, having helped raise funds to set it up in 1977. Nominated by fellow volunteer Barbara Kirby, Mrs Johnson, who lives in nearby Worcester, works tirelessly running coffee mornings as well as organising transport, serving lunches and even calls out the bingo. Nora Parsons, a retired district nurse, realised there were many older people in her area who spent much of their time alone and decided to start the centre. Good friend Mrs Johnson came on board immediately and with the help of Canon Bartlett, the then vicar of Witchinford, the centre was established, first in the village hall, now on the Venn Lane. Following Mrs. Parsons, Mrs Parsons' death, Mrs Johnson has continued to keep the centre running smoothly, as well as bringing up four children, before helping to raise 11 grandchildren and 14 great-grandchildren. She is also involved in the Martley Women's Institute branch, Guide Dogs for the Blind, the Worcester Goat Society, and an over 65s coffee club, while also continuing to play skittles for a pub team. Having been a volunteer in the Land Army during the Second World War, Mrs Johnson, who was born in Burton-on-Trent, met and married her husband George Johnson, a herdsman, in 1948. The couple moved to various farms across the Midlands, both taking up work, including Cobb House Farm and that of Colonel Marsh of Marsh and Baxter, the pie and sausage makers. In the 1950s, with their two eldest children, Ken and Sue, Mr and Mrs Johnson boarded an ocean liner to start a new life in Canada, but after 13 months returned to their roots. Most recently, Mrs Johnson helped to organise the Nora Parson Day Centre's Christmas Fair that took place last weekend. Mrs Kirby, having been involved in the centre for two years, described her fellow volunteer as brilliant, a true inspiration. Who else would do as much as her at the age of 91, she added. Now a story from Saturday, November the 25th, and it's an inspiring piece of news about somebody who has made a model of the cathedral to boost hospice funds. A 
talented hospice supporter has donated a handmade version of Worcester Cathedral to help raise money for charity. Ros Morris, whose uncle Phil Day was cared for at St Richard's Hospice in Worcester, spent months carefully crafting the model using a technique similar to cross-stitch. Basing her design on photographs of the historic structure, she weaved into a material called plastic canvas before assembling the pieces into a 3D building. It was done to raise money for the hospice which cared for my uncle, said Mrs Morris, who is 58 and from Andover in Hampshire. It is just something different. There aren't any others like it as far as I know. St Richard's is a good cause. I hope it raises a good amount. Mr Day, who lived in Pershaw, was cared for at St Richard's Hospice and died in May this year. His wife, Carolyn Day, and daughter, Samantha Andrews, brought the model to the hospice in October. Mrs Day said, We feel that the model is so beautiful, it would be so lovely if the hospice could use it for fundraising. Charlie Homer, hospice fundraiser, said the model cathedral would raise much-needed money for the charity. We were thrilled to receive this fantastic donation, she said. The skill which has gone into creating the beautiful model cathedral is absolutely incredible. We plan to raffle the cathedral to raise money for our specialist care at a future fundraising event. St Richard's Hospice provides free specialist, palliative and end-of-life care for patients living with life-limiting illnesses and supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,000 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. The hospice strives to provide the best medical practical, emotional and social support they can to help people live life to the fullest as independently as they can for as long as they can. They care for people with a range of illnesses including heart failure, Parkinson's and motor neurone disease as well as cancer. St Richard's is an independent charity and is grateful for all donations to help it continue its work. Find out more about the charity at strichards.org.uk. Lights Advice in the wake of Grenville. A housing company has issued new Christmas guidelines in the wake of the Grenville Tower disaster. Fortis Living, based in Worcester, is urging residents to think about which lights they use in communal areas with certain types of artificial lights considered a safety hazard. Sue Healers, Assistant Director of Housing and Care at Fortis Living, said, We know Christmas is a special time and we want to do all we can to make sure our tenants enjoy it in the safest way possible. Safety is always a priority for us and in the light of the tragic Grenfell Tower fire earlier this year, we want to be confident that the risk of fire is minimal. These communal area measures will help us to do just that. Tenants are free to decorate inside their homes as they wish, but we would encourage them to follow the same guidance. A spokesman for Fortis Living added, What we are putting in place are some fire prevention guidelines for trees, lights and decorations in communal areas. We are asking tenants to ensure all fairy lights or any other electronic decorations are bought from a 
Bull's supplier and carry the British standard kite mark of CE mark. We encourage LED lights as they are cooler than standard lights. Ensure pre-owned lights have been pat tested before they deck the tree. If they haven't, then a new British standard compliance set will be need to be purchased and do not hang reefs on doors that face into communal areas or to decorate communal corridors and landings. The housing company will also fit timers to all communal tree lights and unplugging them overnight. The rules were issued in the wake of dispute with a tenant over her choice of fairy lights, which was now been resolved. This is a news item about uh, vandals targeting the Christmas tree on St John's Roundabout. Vandals spoiled a much-criticised city Christmas tree less than two days after its lights were switched on. The tree on the St John's Roundabout was damaged on Saturday, November the 25th, and the City Council is working to fix the 36-foot-high tree as soon as possible. Worcester news readers complained about the lack of lights on the tree on our Facebook page. Jackie Smith, for example, posted, It's terrible, just like last year. Jill Mundy posted, Same as last year. I think they just throw them in the air, see where they land. However, the lack of lights was a result of vandalism over the weekend. Lisa Wilkes posted, It wasn't like it Thursday when it first went on. It looked great. The tree has been called pathetic and embarrassing in recent years, which led to the council changing contractors. The city council is working with its new contractor, Blasher Illumination, on the clean-up. The council will foot the bill, which will involve specialist equipment on the busy roundabout. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, chairman of Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Development Subcommittee, said... It's very disappointing that mindless vandals have attacked the beautiful lighting on this tree. The Christmas lights bring joy to thousands of people across the city, but it seems someone out there wants to spoil it for everyone. I hope these people feel guilty about the public's money having to be used to repair the result of their pathetic actions. A story from yesterday headed Drunk Yobs Plague School and the school in question is Westland's first nursery school in Droitwich and there are two photographs to accompany this article. One of the reception class or some of the reception class holding posters advertising their appeal and another of some broken glass that needed to be swept up. Drink and drug taking youths are plaguing a first school. Staff at Westland's first school and nursery on Farmer's Way in Droitwich say for months Yobs have been using the school play area to drink alcohol, smoke and take drugs and most recently on Monday a glass vodka bottle was smashed on the school playground. The school has been campaigning for a perimeter fence to protect the whole site and to stop youths gaining access. Currently the school has a perimeter fence made up only of mesh and bushes of about a metre high. Deputy Head Teacher Amanda Richards said, Historically, the site has been open for a very long time. As a result, youths from the estate use it. Bottles, cans, cigarette butts, dog poo, drug paraphernalia, you name it, we've found it. In the past, we have found needles. Funding for the work has finally been secured from Witchhaven District Council and the project is due to start in January and expected to be complete by February. Now the school is hoping to raise a further £35,000 for a new outdoor play area for reception and nursery children. During Easter, bottles were smashed into the bark surfacing in the reception class play area 
and as a result, the bark had to be removed, making the outdoor area unsuitable for the children to use. Mrs Richards added, the school site regularly suffers from criminal damage, including smashed bottles in the children's play areas. I have been sweeping up a broken vodka bottle this morning. We are trying to develop the school and make it better for the children. As you will know, school budgets are impossibly tight at the moment, and we just cannot afford to pay for the new outdoor area ourselves. This outdoor area is crucial for helping our youngest pupils to learn and develop both physically and mentally. It is vital that our children learn healthy attitudes towards exercise at the earliest opportunity, and we believe this plan could help us to deliver this. To make a donation to the school, go to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Westlands First School or call Worcester double seven two seven four zero. Okay, so now we have sport. Um, Jeepers keepers Reese saves go to waste. Goalkeeper Reese Francis saved the first three penalties in Bronzegrove's sporting shootout for Littleton, yet still finished on the losing side. Sporting were fortunate to salvage a 1 1 draw from an object show in the League Cup tie with substitute Robbie Bunn levelling matters with eight minutes to play. Matt Edwards fired Littleton in front after three minutes, and the village out. Outfit bellied their lower league status with bristling performance worthy of victory. But having failed to capitalise with a killer second, Bunn's 20-yard deflected shot saw the tie head straight for the shootout. Francis thwarted Dale Edwards, Dave, Dave Edwards and Jordan Jones, but his teammates could only muster one successful effort from 12 yards from their first three. Joe Adams made it 1-1 with Connor Deeds blazing over for Bromsgrove. Five successful kicks were then traded to make it 4-3 before Jack Wilson's thump down the middle was repelled. We got what we deserved, said sporting boss Paul Smith. Littleton outworked, outfought and outplayed us. They were head and shoulders above us. Um, this is an, a news item from Monday, November the 27th, and the headline is Gala at New Pool Goes Swimmingly. A leisure centre's new pool has hosted its first major swimming gala recently. More than 300 swimmers competed at Worcester's Purdeswell Leisure Centre in the eight-lane, 25-metre competition standard pool. The venue hosted Worcester Swimming Club's Autumn Open Meet, which was a massive success. This competition was open to swimmers aged from nine upwards and from clubs across the Midlands and 250 spectators cheered them on. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Steve Mackay, awarded medals and certificates to the winners. He said, Worcester City Council opted to build an eight-lane swimming pool so that it would be possible to hold regional swimming competitions of this nature. It's therefore fantastic to see the pool being used for this purpose, and I'm sure that it will be the first of many major swimming galas hosted at Purdeswell. Purdeswell Leisure Centre reopened to the public in January this year, following a £10.5 million revamp by the City Council. The Council received a £2 million contribution from Sport England towards the development costs. A total of 3,581 people have now signed up for membership at the Leisure Centre, an increase from 1,962 in January 2017. Also, 1,649 children are currently attending swimming lessons at Purdeswell Leisure Centre on a regular basis. 
The main eight-lane pool measures 25 by 17 metres, 17 metres, and boasts poolside seating for 284 spectators, with a further 118 seats around the poolside for swimmers. Worcester City now, and a story from Monday, City skipper Birch is sporting target. Joint boss John Snape admits that he is desperate to keep Brad Birch at Worcester City after receiving an approach from promotion rivals and landlords Bromsgrove Sporting. Sporting boss Paul Smith moved for City's club captain in the wake of Liam Spink's leg break and dislocated ankle in the midweek Birmingham Senior Cup tie against Nuneaton Town. Worcester News understands Birch is the subject of interest from two other clubs in the region, but that Bromsgrove is the only one to make its move so far. And Snape revealed that he had waived the standard seven-day notice period, allowing the Worcester-born midfielder to talk to Bromsgrove early in the hope of quickly quashing talk of a switch from one Victoria ground outfit to another. Liam Spink picked up a nasty injury in the week, said Snape. I spoke to Paul Smith when the interest came about, and he has done everything properly as far as I'm concerned. I want Brad to stay and have made it quite clear to him, but if he feels the need to speak to Bromsgrove, then that will be down to him. Brad's frustration over his red cards and also getting hung, drawn and quartered by some people has left a sour taste in his mouth. But to be fair to him, he came back in, having served his punishment and did very well. He'd been fantastic during a very tough time and will not be getting flogged at the cathedral gates. I just want him to get on now. I will speak to him early in the, part, in the early part of the week. I want him to enjoy his Saturday night, his performance first, because he did well on his comeback. Meanwhile, Snape insisted neither the suspensions nor the interest from Bromsgrove had influenced the decision to let Nathan Hayward retain the armband in Saturday's 4-1 success over Stourbridge, Stourport Swifts. Brad is back and he is still club's skipper, said Snape. He, he was the heartbeat of the side and had a fantastic game. I was over the moon for him. He did not get involved, led by example and complimented Nathan very well. It is a partnership that is really coming together. We still have a bit of work to do with them in terms of stopping the ball in front of the front two, but Brad deserved a goal. That would have capped a great performance from them, individually and as a pair. Now our basketball story from Monday, November the 27th. Worcester Wolves rattled to their second win in a row after a 76-61 victory at Surrey Scorchers in the British Basketball League yesterday. Wolves blasted out to a 15-point first-quarter lead before putting their foot on the gas again to surge out to an overwhelming 59-33 by the end of the third period. It was 6-6 at midway through the opening period before Wolves exploded into action. Alex Navajas sank a three-pointer to break the tie and Elvisi Dusha impacted immediately from the bench with a steal and a subsequent score. Dusha's next involvement was to lay on a triple for George Beeman before attempting his own shot from afar. Even when Dusha's attempt went astray, Dalin Baczynski was first to the rebound and put back for a 16-7 lead. Beeman, Dusha and Navajas all further increased their points tallies to finalise a dominant 26-11 first quarter. It would take nearly six minutes for Scorchers to progress their side of the scoreboard, 
by which time their visitors had accelerated into a 33-13 advantage. By five minutes into the second half, Wolves still held control at 51-26. Repeated Surrey attacks were nullified by intensity on defence. As their inability to penetrate grew, so their frustration translated into poor passes and shot clock violations. Kaylin Raftopoulos shone briefly for his team with a trio of three-pointers, but could not prevent Wolves' crews to victory. Behrman, Dusha and Navajas led the scoring with 14 points apiece, supported by 11 points for Baczynski and 10 for Brandon Parrish. Um, thank you for that, Evelyn. We now have radio programmes um, from the Radio Times selected by our team. So for this Saturday, I've chosen on BBC Radio 2 at 6am, Sounds of the 60s, Tony Blackman, Blackburn with the most familiar records of the era, plus listener dedications and contributions from collector and producer Phil Swan. Today's um, plays the, the playlist will include... Johnny Burnett, Brenda Lee and Jimmy Ruffin. Uh, for Sunday, I've chosen the Advent Carol Service from St John's College, Cambridge. This will be on Radio 3 at 3pm 3 and will last an hour and a half. If you enjoy the service from King's, from King's College, Cambridge on Christmas Eve afternoon, then this is a, a wonderful chance to get into the mood a bit earlier. And still on a musical theme, I rather like the look of uh, Mark Almond's Torch Song Trilogy, which starts on BBC Radio 2 at uh, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock evening that is, whereby Mark Almond, who used to be the singer in Soft Cell, introduces pretty much the history of Torch Songs and Torch Singers, and we'll be looking at such stars as Marlena Dietrich, Edith Piaf, Billie Holiday, Dinah Washington, Eartha Kitt and Judy Garland. And my choice is quite a strange one. It's for Tuesday the 4th of December on Radio 4 at 11am and it's called Mysteries of Sleep. This is quite scary. Mm. Neurologist Guy Leshiner introduces us to people who experience non-REM parasomnias. That's unusual behaviours in deep sleep. We're talking sleepwalking, night terrors and sleep eating. At his clinic, he treats people with remarkable stories, such as a 70-year-old woman who has driven a car while asleep. No. He also talks to a man with a troubling disorder of sex somnia who was convicted of rape in an incident he can't remember. As worrying as these behaviours are, Leshiner explains how they show that the brain doesn't have binary awake-sleep states. Bit scary. Um, on to Wednesday uh, in the morning, uh, really early. BBC Radio One, um, six thirty a.m. Um, whilst driving to Birmingham, I listen to um, Nick Grimshaw. He always seems to make me feel really happy in the morning. He just seems really, just really jolly. Um, and he just, you can ring up and you can pick different songs. It's just a nice. That's on uh, BBC Radio One at six thirty a.m. 
My choice for Thursday is drama, and there's some wonderful drama on radio, and some of you will have um, heard the uh, drama called Tracks, which was on in the first, well, well, there was a first series, last year's nine-part thriller about a medical conspiracy. Well, this Thursday, uh, Radio 4 at 2.15, we have um, the the sequel, but it is actually a prequel, so I'll read what the, the um, publicity says. Um, a man with no heart, a woman with no face, these were just two of the strange, sinister characters in the first series of tracks, last year's nine-part thriller about a medical conspiracy. It starred Romola Garay as GP Helen Ash, who was entangled in the aftermath of a plane crash which killed 30 doctors. Tracks had listeners and critics hooked and won a BBC Audio Drama Award. Strata, this second series, is a prequel to the first, set in 1980 in the mountains of Snowdonia, and it stars Fiona O'Shaughnessy as paleontologist Rachel, whose child seems to have disappeared into the landscape. The story provides clues to a conspiracy which will unfold in series three next year. A real spine tingler. So that's at 2.15, Radio 4 on Thursday. I've always been deeply interested in politics, so my attention was drawn in Friday's Radio Times to a programme at 11 in the morning called Superfast Politics, in which historian Rhys Jones um, explains how the term superfast politics came about. He says, it came to me last year immediately after the referendum in those manic two weeks that seemed to contain 10 years' worth of news. Since then, he says, politics has speeded up even more. From the snap election to the hourly scandals of the Trump White House and, more importantly, the ticking clock of Brexit. My take is that superfast politics is rushing us headlong to catastrophe. So we wouldn't want to miss that. That's 11 o'clock on Friday, Radio 4. Thank you for that, Philip. Um, I will now tell you the sunset and sunrise times. Um, sunrise is um, five minutes to eight, and the sunset time um, is four o'clock. It's, it's becoming a very short day. Um, and now I will read um, the obituaries. Um, so, Gardini, Nee uh, Gain, Francis Barbara um, passed away on the... Um, 12th of November, loving wife of the late Alan James Gardner, passed away peacefully in her sleep at Welland House Nursing Home. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 30th, uh, at was today, at um, quarter to two. Um, also, bigger staff, Ivor, passed away peacefully with his family by his side on November the 26th, 2017, aged 63 years. Much-loved husband of Alison, loving dad of Paul and Ryan. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 6th at 10am. Bright colours to be worn by request of the family. Charman Anthony David, known as Tony, passed away peacefully on November the 6th, 2017, aged 72 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 6th, at 12.15pm. Family flowers only. Donations if desired for Ombersley Medical Centre. Jones Hazel Allison passed away peacefully at Bedwardine House, Worcester on November the 17th, 2017, aged 91 years. 
A service to celebrate Hazel's life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December 13th, 2017 at 12.15pm. Family, family flowers only. Donations if desired for the Midlands Air Ambulance. Daniels, Doreen known as Maisie, passed away peacefully on November the 16th, aged 94 years. A loving mum and nanny. The funeral will take place at St Andrews, Ombersley, on Friday, December the 1st, at 12 noon, followed by an intimate in the churchyard. No flowers, please. But donations to Cancer Research UK. Skinner, Ronald Harry James, known as Ron, on November the 27th, 2017, passed at his home aged 81 years, sadly missed by all his family and friends. Funeral service at Norton Beach Champ Church on Wednesday, December the 6th at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance. Heels Thomas, known as Tot, retired postman of Malvin, peacefully at home on November the 17th, aged 85 years. A much-loved husband, father and grandfather. Funeral service at St James the Great Colwell on Monday, December the 4th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations for Dementia UK. Hobbs, Jean Olive, passed away peacefully at home on November the 13th, aged 85 years. Jean will be greatly missed by sons, Graham and Glenn and all her relatives and friends. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 7th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations if desired for Cancer Research UK. Osborne. Janet passed away on November the 8th, aged 92 years. She will be sadly missed by all her family. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 7th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. But, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice. Probert Nee Farron Barn. Pamela Irene peacefully passed away on November the 13th, aged 78 years. A beloved wife, sister and aunt. A funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, the 7th, December 4th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Midlands Air Ambulance. Thomas, folks, Margaret Irene, November the 17th, peacefully in hospital at Hillcrest Court, Belgian aged 89 years. Funeral service at St George Catholic Church, Worcester on Tuesday, December at 5th, December 5th at 1pm, followed by an intimate at Aswood Cemetery. Family flowers only, but donations if desired towards Alzheimer's Society. Clay Les passed away peacefully at home on November the 12th, aged 94 years. He will be greatly missed by all who knew him and loved him. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, December the 11th at 2.30pm. Family flowers are only please. Donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice. Purse, Miss Hilda May, cherished sister, wife, mother, grandmother and great-grandmother, passed peacefully away on Friday, November the 17th in Norton, Worcester, after a long and happy, wonderful life. A service of thanksgiving will be held at St John's Church, Clains, Worcester on Friday, December the 1st at 1.30pm. All who knew our lovely mum are welcome.
Thank you, Charlotte. And now we're moving on to the birthdays. Um, and there are two for, for me to announce this week. First of all, birthday greetings to Florence Evans, who will be celebrating her birthday on the 8th of December. Many happy returns of the day. And also, birthday greetings to Sandra Wood, whose birthday is the same day, the 8th of December. So many happy returns of the day to you too, Sandra. And a nostalgia photo from Thursday, that's today's Thursday, um, is a photograph of literally thousands of bottles of Cinsano. Underneath it says, today's image is of Winston Taylor, regional manager of bonded warehouse McGregor Corey in Blackpool, Worcester, and was taken in November 1984. Since opening two years previously, it had built up strong links with several supermarkets, and the chances are, if you bought your spirits from Tesco's or Sainsbury's in the early to mid-1980s, it was almost certain to have spent some time stored here. And now the thought for the day, for the week ending the 2nd of December. And it's Psalm 98 verses 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Thank you. Um, I would like to thank everyone for reading and the production team tonight. Um, also like to thank my Uncle Duncan, the recording engineer, um, smiling at me now. Um, but I would like to leave you with a final thought um, as we won't, our little team won't be joining you to um, January time. Um, I found a lovely positive thought um, and it says, gifts aren't just what you buy, but what you do. Fill your holiday with kind words and acts. Um, and we hope you have a lovely holiday and happy new year. Um, and we will... Um, Read to you then. So it's a goodbye from me, Charlotte. That's goodbye from me, Catherine. And from me, Philip. And from me, Evelyn. Happy holidays. <laughs>